Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Yachts Forecast, the podcast dedicated to filmmakers, their movies, and film criticism. I am your host. My name is Rudy Obias. And it is written that I am West Anthony on my birth certificate. The answer is D. It is written. Uh, this is a bonus episode of the Autor cast, uh, our best picture cast, where we talk about movies that won best picture, uh, but doing it not in chronological order, in descending uh, order. Uh, this week, we are, this month, we do these episodes once a month. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the 81st Academy Awards. Uh, for the movies of 2008, uh, and this ceremony took place in 2009. And the nominees for Best Picture, and th- this was the last year uh, that had the traditional five-movie uh, five Best Picture uh, nominations, and the nominees were uh, The Reader, Milk, Frost Nixon, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and the movie that ended up winning Best Picture, Danny Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire. Wes, do you have a synopsis for us? A penniless guy from the slums of India goes on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and answers nearly every question correctly, which raises the suspicions of the show's host and the police, who don't believe that a penniless guy from the slums of India could know that much stuff. But flashbacks reveal the spectacular and utterly impossible series of coincidences that provide the answers, thus proving that while a series of horrible incidents add up to a miserable and unlivable existence in real life, they add up to a million bucks and the girl of your dreams in the movies and nowhere else. <laughs> Not even in Bombay. Uh, is that where this movie takes place? I thought, or I thought it was Mumbai. Mumbai, Mumbai in India. Uh, so this is Danny Boyle's uh, Slumdog Millionaire's 2008 film. And he actually won the Academy Award for Best Director. And it won Best Picture, obviously. And I'm a huge fan of Danny Boyle. Uh, I, I love Train Spotting. I love Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, I, I, I was okay with uh, One Hundred and Twenty Seven Hours, um, and I, this is actually and for even the the clumsiest of third acts. I I am a huge fan of Sunshine, his science fiction film, and as 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 uh, I'm also a fan of Millions, his his kids movie, and I guess he, like we're doing a series on Stanley Kubrick and just going down through his filmography. He's kind of like Stanley Kubrick, where he, you know, one um, when he does a genre, he goes to another genre, and then he never kind of returns to it. I mean, he's done horror, and he's done sci-fi, and he's done a kids movie, um, he's done a drug movie as well. And this is really the one of the few um, Danny Boyle films that I haven't seen. I've actually never seen this movie until preparation for this episode. Uh, so. West Anthony, what are your thoughts on Danny Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire? Are you a fan of, of Danny Boyle, and do you feel that this is uh, one of his better films, or do you at least feel that he deserved to win uh, the, the, the Oscar for Best Director? I really like Danny Boyle. I haven't seen all of his films, but I have seen most of them. And i got to say that Slumdog Millionaire is probably one of the best-looking films I have ever detested. Uh, I saw it when it came out. And I disliked it intensely. And I saw it again recently, also in preparation for this episode. And uh, my feelings have not really diminished very much. And it's it must be said that it is largely due to the world around us. Because I can't just walk away from the world and pretend that it doesn't exist. And I can't ever be one of those people who pretends that if you just believe and uh, you know and you have a good heart that magic and coincidence will suddenly provide you with everything you need and you'll have a happy ending and you'll get the girl of your dreams because i know from personal experience none of that actually happens and uh also in particular because the film came out very at a very specifically bad time not just for me but for the entire united states of america if not the world at large because i know that the uh the second Great Depression of the United States had uh, global repercussions. Uh, it was just a, it was a really bad time, and I really felt that it was just the absolute worst possible time to be telling people to just believe in dreams and magic. Then that was going to take care of everything, because very obviously we were in a deep, dark hole that we are still trying to climb out of, and we're not doing too well at the moment. And I just... Uh, it felt like I I just I can't stand the idea of filling people with false hope. And so the movie just really rubbed me the wrong way. On a technical level, 
I like everything about it. Danny Boyle has always been a very uh, exciting uh, and uh, visceral filmmaker. There's uh, there's always a lot to enjoy looking at in his films. There's always a lot to enjoy hearing in his films. He he does a lot with uh, with you know visual elements and with production design and with cinematography and d- definitely with editing. He also does a great deal with music. His uh, his soundtracks are never boring on his films. But it's just the the overall vibe of this film uh, and what it was, uh, you know, the message that it was putting across to audiences. I just felt uh, I felt it was borderline irresponsible to be telling people you know, the, what this movie was telling us. And I just I couldn't stomach it then, and I can't stomach it now. Well, I mean, I think there has to be a certain. I mean, this is a movie, a, a Hollywood movie, and so it does have to have that. That kind of uh, optimistic worldview, and I, I agree with you for the most part that th- these are very trying times. If you look at my bank account and my my income, uh, we are definitely in a, in a recession. And I and the way I, I live my life, uh, I guess on a financial uh, in a financial financially it is really on a, a thin wire to get a little glimpse of the way that I live, not just because I live in New York City, one of the, the most expensive cities in this country. Uh, I, I feel that I would be on this uh, tightrope no matter where I am in this vast land that is the United States. And so ha- I guess having that certain worldview, but also realizing this is a movie and there also has to be, I mean, it's, I feel all movies are very unrealistic. I mean, we talked about this in in the episode where we talked about the artist that there is this certain escape element of, of watching movies, and so I really I try not to bring that uh, as part of my criticism so much. I don't really feel that this movie is irresponsible. Um, I mean, as opposed to something like Forrest Gump, which also won the the best picture of of. Uh, in 1994, I believe. Um, I I agree with you that on a technical level, Slumdog Millionaire is a pretty fantastic film. Um, I'm not sure if I am right or wrong about this. Is this one of the few or was it this first movie to win the Cinematography Award for Digital Photography? It might have been. I don't know that because uh, the, the previous this, years. This is a completely digital film. I know Danny Boyle only works uh, digital uh, digital filmmaking. He he doesn't shoot in with film anymore, um, and, and it, it really just shows like how the camera is is moving or the kind of the impossible angles, uh, the impromptu angles the cinematographer has to go through to to capture these moments. And it does have that kinetic energy. Um, something like his 1996 film Train Spotting also has. I I thought I automatically thought of that. Just the way it's kind of like this frenetic, kind almost ADD type of film, uh, where subtitles aren't uh, traditionally where subtitles are supposed to be on the screen. They're more like like a comic book, um, and uh, they're also in different colors, and it's very vibrant. Uh, you do get this great sense that the that this is definitely a slum. These are very very poor people. Um, but I, I just take it as this is a fairy tale, and I, I understand your your point of view of it, but it, it's just not necessarily my point of view of it. I, I think Slumdog Millionaire is a very minor film in, in Danny Boyle's filmography, but it, it it has to be discussed as somewhat of a major film because this is the film that he won an Academy Award for. Um, and for- that's another, you know, it just it shouldn't have happened. That's that we we wouldn't even be discussing this film until you know later on, and that's the other thing too. I mean, you know, at this point, this is probably the second filmmaker uh, we've talked about with the the best picture episodes that we'll probably be you know covering uh, as auteur cast subjects further down the road. The other one being uh, a Catherine Bigelow. I'm sure you know you'll agree that we'll probably be discussing oh, yeah. both of them further down the road. And then, you know, as we go on, I mean, definitely the Coen brothers at some point, definitely Martin Scorsese at some point, because they're, they're the next two in line. Uh, and, and, you know, we should also point out then, because of that, you know, this this episode would pretty much be the Slumdog Millionaire episode when we get to Danny Boyle. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we're not going to, uh, listeners, uh, listeners of the Autorcast, um, these bonus episodes uh, of the Autorcast, the best picture uh, episodes, 
obviously they're going to overlap with uh, filmmakers that we're going to be talking about. Uh, like Danny, like a uh, good point you make, Wes. Danny Boyle. We're definitely going to have a Danny Boyle uh, episode. We're not going to necessarily have an episode uh, 150 or whatever on Danny Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire. We already did that episode, and this is it. Yeah. And so yeah. we're just going to, you know, I'm going. We're just going to put this episode in the f- in the feed. Probably rename it, <laughs> and then you'll just listen to it and think, "Oh, I heard this, you know, a year ago." Yeah, well, so those those filmmakers who you know we intend to talk about at length, you know, if they their movies have won a Best Picture Academy Award before we get to the discussion on said director. Well, then you know this is this will be like an an early uh, an early taste of uh, of what's to come. But yeah, then but- on the other hand, Paul Haggis, uh, you know, good luck with you. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to. You do get it. one shot and goodbye. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we're not going to do it. I mean, unless this filmmaker really does come to know, like Tom Hooper or Michelle Hasenavicious. Um, although I do look forward to their careers going forward. Uh, I can't yeah, say. Well, Hasenavicious, uh, I mean, I know he's he has a pretty substantial filmography in France, and I know that a couple of these uh, uh, OSS uh, James Bond parodies that uh, that he's done. Uh, in in France, I know they're available on Netflix, and I intend to take a look at them. So you know, there's who knows. We uh, we may if there, if enough of his stuff is available for us to watch, and you know we like it enough, you know we could definitely do a series on Hanavisius at some point in the future. Yeah, but then uh, you know we're not going to do another episode on the artist. Exactly, and then that will be I'll just go to this episode. But what when we we'll talk about Slumdog Millionaire again when we do the retrospective episode sure, of sure. Boyle. Um. I guess getting back to Slumdog Millionaire, I mean, I, I take into context that this is a fairy tale. I mean, this is not uh, – I, I see it as kind of like a Forrest Gump, and I can see why people are so down on this film in, in regards to that. I can see why this movie um, somewhat got the hype that it got. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you know like the, the, the story behind this movie. The funding for this movie was was very low. Um, Danny Boyle wasn't sure if he was going to get the money together for this movie. It, it, it didn't even have distribution um, when, when it came out. Like uh, Danny Boyle thought this was going to be like a straight-to-DVD movie. But then it hit the film festival circuits. It, it opened at Telluride. It opened at Toronto International Film Festival um, in uh, 2008, uh, mid-2008. And it caught fire there. Like It, uh, it, it was like a critic's darling. It was an uh, audience... Uh, you know, audiences love this movie. Critics love this movie. And so on a film festival circuit, uh, I, I've done my fair of film festivals, and I, I know the types of films that get a lot of uh, critical acclaim and audience love. And it's movies like Slumdog Millionaire. And perhaps because of that um, momentum it was getting at Telluride at Toronto, it eventually got uh, a distribution in, in Fox Searchlight and then – um, Fox put it out, and then it became a big hit. Well, yeah, I can I can very easily see why it would appeal to audiences, particularly at that time. And, and, and it's just for me, just being I don't know, maybe a, an unpleasantly realistic person. It's just that it, it appeals to them for you know, the same reasons why it does not appeal to me. It's just everybody. Yeah, I agree. It's a fairy tale, and everybody at that time, particularly, they really needed a fairy tale. And it's just that uh, I. I really strongly believe that we should not be feeding people fairy tales uh, when you know, there's real work to be done. Um, and it's just in the same way that, you know, look, if you give a, a five-year-old kid a choice between a plate of chocolate chip cookies and a plate of broccoli, you're going to take the chocolate chip cookies every time. But then what you're going to end up with is a fat kid with no teeth in his head. <laughs> so, so, you know, you and, – and, and I, of course, uh, I'm the first person to uh, acknowledge – that uh, there are plenty of people who only go to the movies for entertainment. They don't go for anything more than that. They just want to be distracted. They want to be entertained. They want to have a good time and come out singing and clicking their heels together. But I, I just uh, I don't know. Like and I, and I I'll tell you I'll tell you what happened. Okay. And this is just my my whole personal thing. What happened with me is right around the time there at the, towards the tail end of 2008. You know, this is when the financial you know disaster hit uh, the United States and the housing market collapsed. And, you know, the business that I work in in my day job is tangentially connected to the real estate industry. So 
the bottom fell out on a lot of stuff. And first thing that happened was a bunch of people at my office got laid off and I was spared. Right. And uh, they said, and after that happened, they laid off a bunch of people and said, okay, uh, no more overtime for anybody for the foreseeable future. And I thought, okay, well, uh, I can, I can get by without the overtime, but it's going to be cutting it close. And at the time, you know, I was still, I was uh, still paying off uh, some, some credit card debt that uh, I needed to take care of. It's you know, since been taken care of, but so, so I had that on my plate. And then a month later, they laid off more people. And then in addition to that, they said, okay, everybody now has to take an across the board, every employee in the business has to take an across the board 10% pay cut for the next two fiscal quarters. That's six months. Okay. So I was already just scraping by without overtime, but now with 10% of my, uh, my paycheck gone, now I'm underwater. And so for those six months, I basically had to sell off enormous chunks of my DVD collection and my CD collection for food. That's what I was doing. At the end of the six months, you know, they said after the end of those two financial quarters, well, we'll review the situation. And uh, if things look better, then everybody gets their 10% back. If not, then it could continue indefinitely. Fortunately, uh, at the end of the, uh, the six-month period, they decided that everything was a little better and we got our 10% back. There's still been no overtime, but, you know, my full paycheck at least has been restored. And also, you know, I should note that I haven't gotten a raise since then. For a while, I got a raise almost every damn year I've been with this company. And the last few years, there's been nothing just because of the financial situation. So that was really, really bad for me. And so then this movie comes along and is just selling this soap that I, I, I could not stomach it. It just infuriated me because the real world was just so much less rosy, was so much less fantastical, so much less fictional than what this movie was trying to sell. And I just, it, it just really infuriated me. I feel like, and even today, again, it's the same thing. It, it's, it's dissipated somewhat, but not enough for me to really like, to, to still like this movie. I feel like there are too many things wrong in this in this culture in this country that people should not be just burying their heads in the sands of fantasy and entertainment people should be standing up and taking a look around them and figuring out what to do and then doing it and but instead we just keep being fed these distractions and i think it's just uh, it's detrimental to our 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 health and our well-being as a nation so this movie just it just rubbed me such such the wrong way and i can't I could not get past it. I could not get around it. And like I say, I appreciate and admire this film for its technical qualities. It is an incredibly well-made, well-put-together film. The, the cinematography uh, by, uh, was it Anthony Dodd-Mantle, is uh, spectacular. It's superb. I absolutely love it. Now, the, the editing uh, was done by a fellow named Chris Dickens. Top-notch. You know, the way the film is put together, it is wonderful. You know, and Danny Boyle's direction, as always, is just, you know, it's very lively. Uh, it's, it's, it's always exciting to watch. And I also, I like the performances in the film. I, Dev Patel is the, uh, the, the lead character, Jamal, you know, the, uh, the, the poor kid. Uh, I, I liked him in this movie. He was very, uh, he was very sympathetic. You know, I, I in a way, I, I felt for this kid, for his problems. But then when you get to the end and, you know, he just magically, wins all this money it's like well that has absolutely nothing to do with life it, it just really it, it just bugged the hell out of me <laughs> i'm sorry and then uh, uh i believe it was uh anil kapoor who plays the uh the host of the uh of the the indian version of who wants to be a millionaire he was great he was so great in this movie and they uh, obviously he uh, you know made such an impression uh on american audiences they they brought him over here to be on either the last or the next to last season of uh, the television series 24 where he was also very good i might add so there's there's uh, so much going on in this film that uh, is is on a technical level just really wonderful and like i say these performances are really good but just the overall message of the movie uh, it just i just felt it was just disastrously mistimed given the 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 events that were going on in 2008 and well 
I mean, you definitely have to bring uh, your worldview and your experiences. Every movie that that you you see, I mean, that's how we hold on to these things, and that's why I feel movies and I get music and books and 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 every bit that you absorb uh, artistically and culturally um, is very uh, subjective. And when we put, I guess, uh, a rating system, a scoring system on, on movies, what movies are going to win? the big box office or even uh in this bonus episode best picture you know putting that title on it it becomes somewhat of um an objective thing where uh x plus x equals a win and this is a, the clear winner of, of of this and this should be held so high um i i, I agree with you for the most part but I, I, I really just see this movie in the same vein as something like uh, Shawshank Redemption or It's a, it's a Wonderful Life or or even something I mentioned before, uh, Forrest Gump. Um, do I think this movie should have won Best Picture? I think a better movie that was nominated, uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, I thought yes, that was yes. a, a much better film and I thought that should have won Best Picture. Um, I would have also been happy if David Fincher won, but I'm pretty happy that Danny Boyle won uh, Best Picture. But, um, I, but I think that in both cases, Benjamin Button and David Fincher would have been a better selection. Yes, and, and again, and that's not even just my personal you know, dislike for Slumdog Millionaire aside. Like I say, Danny Boyle directed the hell out of the movie. He did an, a very excellent, capable job of directing. But there is no denying that David Fincher's job on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button was just outstanding and you know we've talked about it on our previous episode on that film so you can go back and listen to uh, everything that we have to say about it there uh there was no doubt in my mind that benjamin button should have swept the academy awards and i i i felt it was just uh, terribly unfair and ridiculous that it did not it, it won a lot of the technical awards like best visual effects it maybe. won three three <laughs> three isn't a lot especially out of a total of like 13 nominations it, it, it won for the stuff that you when you first unfortunately when you first think of Benjamin Button you do think of the visual effects and the makeup uh, and it won for stuff for the for those awards. Um, I, I feel the big difference though uh, between Benjamin Button and Slumdog Millionaire. I think Benjamin Button's a much better film. Is that emotional aspect of it? Um, we, we again we talked about this in the Curious Case of Benjamin Button episode, uh, which you can. Uh, go back in our archives and check out uh, where David Lynch's – I mean David Lynch, David Fincher's approach to um, the source material is more of a um, clinical side rather than uh, a heartfelt side. Wherein is Danny Boyle – I mean this is a, a – the way this film ends is really uplifting and not, not the fact that he gets the girl and gets the money but also ending in the um, the Bollywood uh, dance sequence at the end of this film and also having uh, – a cameo of, of one of the big stars of, of Bollywood, uh, Shah Rukh Khan, who is like the the Tom Cruise of, of Bollywood. Uh, so he's a short Scientologist? <laughs> uh, I, I, on the film aspect, of, like he's in all these big blockbuster Bollywood films. He's uh, very recognizable. I was actually kind of like I, I like perked up and geeked out a little bit that he was in, in the dance sequence at the end. I, I noticed him and well, there was this there's a big close up shot of him. I was like, oh, he uh, Shah Rukh Khan's in this movie, too. Um, I know so little of uh, Bollywood films. I, I, I keep thinking that's something that I should get into at Bolly some point. Just take a look at some of them. Are if you don't like Benjamin, if you don't like Slumdog Millionaire, I'm not really sure if you're gonna go on to uh, Bo Bollywood films are overly uh, like the stuff you don't like about Slumdog Millionaire. It's it's that to like the the nth degree, you know. I mean, it really lays it on thick. It doesn't have any any sense of real world emotions. It, I mean, it's it's more more happy go lucky, more enthusiastic, and more optimistic than even Hollywood films, and I think this this movie, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, Millionaire, really reflects um, uh, Bollywood and Indian cinema. Uh, I mean, the only differences between what you would typically get in a Bollywood or or Indian uh, cinema movie is that there's no singing or dancing or dance sequences in, in um, Slumdog Millionaire. Only till the end. Yeah, they had that that thing at the end. Yeah, it's my understanding that Bollywood films are. Just filled with singing and dancing. Oh yeah, I mean they're like three-hour-long movies, two and a half-hour, three-hour-long movies that have 
uh, romantic, uh, you know, romantic leads, a love story, uh, really, uh, mustache twirling villains. Are there intermissions in these things? I, I would assume so. But like, it, it, you get the impression that these movies would be shorter if they didn't have these big, uh, dance numbers, uh, just peppered in throughout. Um, oh, I guess if that's what Indian audiences want, then yeah. that's what they're going to give them. From Ameri- from an American point of view, they seem very cheesy, very saccharine. But from an Indian point of view, th- these are like Gone with the Wind. These are fantastic, great films. And I think Slumdog Millionaire really fits into that mold. Um, also considering this is a pretty heavily Indian production uh, – as well as a British production, I mean Danny Boyle being being British, um, and all the actors, and even the source material is uh, is is Indian uh, as well, and so I, I think it really reflects those sensibilities more so than I guess a Western audience sensibilities. Uh, I mean, outside of the 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 uplifting message uh, of of the film, and I, I think on that level, I enjoy Slumdog Millionaire, but overall, I, I don't feel it's as I guess egregious uh, uh, of a of a best picture uh, win as Crash or or a Beautiful Mind. Uh, a, a, these movies that are just really paint by. I mean, I, I am more offended by a movie like Crash. And when we get to that episode, I don't know how much of the movie we're going to be talking about more so than our actual worldview and how um, our worldviews are not portrayed in, in a movie like Crash. I, I'm offended by Crash. As a human being and an American, more so than I'm offended that, than a, a moviegoer. Um, it just so happens that on that technical level of Crash, it's not very good either. Um, yeah, I think Crash really is kind of a movie that only white people can love. Because <laughs> it just, it really feels like it's just there to make them feel better. Uh, and, and listeners, West and I are, are not white. I, I am Asian and West is Mexican. Um, I, I know a lot of, of white people that, do, uh, that don't like uh, Crash as well, and, and rightfully so. It's, it's not a very good movie, and there was a, a much better film that year that should have won Best Picture. And we'll definitely talk about that when we, we get to the, the, the much dreaded, for, for us anyways, that I have to revisit Crash episode when we talk about Paul Haggis's, uh film. Um, but I, I don't think Slumdog Millionaire is, is a bad film. I, I don't think it's a great film. I think it's a very uplifting film, and I can easily see why it won Best Picture. And perhaps uh, the Academy of Arts and Sciences were thinking perhaps we shouldn't go bleak two years in a row. You know, the year prior to this, uh, Joel and Ethan. Yeah, No Country for Old Men. Old Men, and and there and the year like- before that was The Departed. So, which is kind of a refutation of what you were saying earlier that uh, you know Hollywood films want happy endings because you know ain't no happy endings in those pictures. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, and perhaps like it being so bleak for those numbers of years, like let's go a little bright and shiny with, with something like Slumdog Millionaire, as opposed to something like Benjamin Button or or Frost Nixon or something. Or but, but see, then that just sort of goes to highlight how the Academy Awards sometimes rob themselves of their own validity by yeah. making it a, a political thing, by making it you know some kind of a a, a, a statement or a, a popularity contest more than you know something that's meant to honor artistic merit. Now, this this kind of thing that they really shouldn't be doing, but you, I mean we obviously we all know that they do it and they do it repeatedly. Uh, it, I mean. It, we know the people who are in – I mean we don't know them personally, but we know the people who – the types of people who are in the Academy of Arts and Science. They're, they're really smart, uh, intellectual, artistic people that – and I, I, I don't know. I mean at the beginning of the of these bonus episodes, I, I, I said something to the effect that I see the best picture wins being a snapshot of the year that was more so than how this is going to fit into history. Um not necessarily the movie that's going to be the most innovative or the most memorable or, or even the ones that should have won obviously don't win or um i mean there's like a, a long list of movies like well you know citizen kane that's arguably the the greatest movie of all time why didn't that win the best picture i i mean honestly it's a really think, political thing i think these things <laughs> just really snapshots uh, of the year uh at this point in time in 2008, Slumdog Millionaire was just such on this high. It came out at the right time. It had a lot of publicity. It had a lot of good press. And then eventually a backlash happened that 
maybe perhaps we hype this movie up too much. Perhaps audiences like this movie too much. It, it's not that good. Um, it happened to the artist. Uh, it happened to King's Speech. Uh, I mean, fairly recently, I remember when these movies came out. Um, and actually being on this side of the film blogging, film um, film critic industry, when these movies came out, people were you know myself as well uh, these are great movies i i love this movie i love this movie but sooner or later a backlash is going to happen um it happens year in and year out and it just makes me think when when are people going to turn on something like the master or something i mean people are turning on the avengers already when are people going to turn on dark knight rises um people and, are turning and just, on the avengers when did that happen uh it, it's it's gonna come as soon as dark knight uh, comes Dark Knight Rises comes out. People are going to be like, "Oh, you know, this is so much better than the Avengers. Avengers is not as good as this." Uh, I mean, it's it's. Well, so you're so- already counting out Spider Man, huh? <laughs> I counted wow! Don't soon- don't feel bad. I'm counting it out too. Uh, from from what I I know of of Sp- the Amazing Spider Man, uh, um, some inside sources that I know, or not personally know, but what, from what I hear, uh, you know, it, it's a terrible film. So. There's that. Hopefully, I'm wrong, but uh, I'm. I'm call it the semi-amazing Spider-Man. I think the best, uh, a little tangent. I think the best thing for the Amazing Spider-Man right now is Paramount. The fact that they um, pulled GI Joe Retaliation nine months to open nine months from now in March uh, uh, 2013 is the best thing that could ever happen to the Amazing Spider-Man because now there's no. The only summer movie that people are going to be anxious for, you know, arguably G.I. Joe was going to have a big box office and then, you know, whatever was going to peter out was going to go to The Amazing Spider-Man. It's just really building now for Spider-Man. And so that's really the best thing that could happen for a movie uh, for The Amazing Spider-Man was G.I. Joe Retaliation uh, going (laughs) opening in March rather than at the end of this month. Um, But. I, I guess speaking of uh, summer movies, uh, the summer movies of 2008, um, one reason why a lot of people think that the next year for the 82nd Academy Awards, why it went to 10 instead of um, 5, was a movie like The Dark Knight. A lot of people thought The Dark Knight should have been nominated for Best Picture because it, critics loved it. It made uh, a shit ton of money. Everyone loved that movie and felt that that movie should have at least have been nominated for, for Best Picture. Uh, and I agree with them. You certainly uh, could have taken out one of these five nominees. Um, now, of course, you know, me, you know, my you know, personal bias would say, yeah, take out Slumdog Millionaire and throw The Dark Knight in there. But I, I acknowledge that uh, people aren't gonna aren't gonna necessarily agree with that. But even if you left Slumdog Million in, Millionaire in in the, the mix, you could take out Frost Nixon very easily. You could take out The Reader just as easily. And throw in uh, the Dark Knight, and and I like those movies, but I didn't think either of them was particularly, uh, you know, best picture nominee material. Now, well, now you said you hadn't seen uh, Slumdog Millionaire in, until recently. Have you seen either of the? Uh, uh, I mean, apart from you know, Benjamin Button, which I know you've seen. Did you see Frost Nixon, Milk, or the Reader? Uh, I, I I've seen the Reader. I haven't seen Frost Nixon, and I haven't seen Milk. Sadly, I haven't seen Milk. I, I do like Gus Van Sant, though. I think I, Milk is is a is a better picture than Slumdog Millionaire. And I'm talking about you know just again my personal views aside, even just you know on a technical level, on a pure filmmaking level, I think Milk is a better film than Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, well, here's another tangent, listeners. Uh, 2008. Here's a little personal background for me in 2008. 2008 was the year, and it's it's even shocking for me to say right now, was the year I decided not to watch any movies. Uh, in the year of 2008, I didn't watch I didn't watch a single. Well, I, I watched movies. I ended up watching The Dark Knight, um, and I, I watched Kung Fu Panda. Actually, those were the only two movies I watched uh, in theaters or at all. In, Why? Uh, I, I decided I wanted to watch TV. I, I felt TV. Right, I was, I'm hanging up on you. <laughs> I don't I even know you anymore, man. TV was more exciting. Like I was really into Lost. I, I started getting into Mad Men, um, and I just wanted to watch TV. I felt I was at that point in my life. I felt I was really overloaded with a lot of movies, and I just needed a break from it. And I, I decided I'm going to take a year off, um, and which is pretty shocking. I love movies. I freaking love movies to death, but I felt I loved it that much that I just needed. To, 
if, if I continued the way I was going by watching so many movies, I would have been burnt out. I would have hated movies. So I felt taking it away from me um, for a year would have, would have been good for me. Uh, that was my thinking back then. And strangely enough, that whole year, I did not watch – I watched those two movies, Kung Fu Panda and The Dark Knight. And the only reason I saw Kung Fu Panda, my niece uh, – I can't remember how – she was pretty young at the time, like eight, I think. I'm not really sure how old she was. She wanted to see it, so I took her to go see it. And I only saw The Dark Knight because um, my friend bought me a midnight ticket, a midnight uh, – a ticket for the midnight – uh, release of it and that that was it that was the only reason why i went and even then i kind of protested i, I don't want to see this movie uh, i was glad i did uh and and so like all these movies i really didn't see i i i caught up with a lot of these movies i caught up with in bruges i caught up with wally um but i i didn't it was in 2009 not in 2008 it's strange for me to think but that's that's what my life was like in 2008 um and, and and so I guess in saying that, do you also feel that uh, Christopher Nolan should have been nominated uh, for The Dark Knight? Um, that one actually that could go either way. I, I would I, it wouldn't have bothered me if he hadn't been nominated, but I really feel that overall, just the the tremendous success of The Dark Knight in general, because you know particularly when you had only uh, five nominees, there was always a deal where you know, one of the five best picture nominees would find their director shut out and. I wouldn't have minded if it was Christopher Nolan. If they would, if they decided, if they had decided to nominate The Dark Knight for Best Picture and throw a nod to uh, Christopher Nolan for Best Director, that would have been fine too. I, I wouldn't have complained about that. But it wouldn't have bothered me in the slightest if uh, if he hadn't been nominated. But yeah, the, the the lack of a nomination for The Dark Knight for Best Picture it it uh, it really didn't sit well with me either. I wasn't like super up in arms like a lot of people on the internet were. But uh, I mean, I could definitely see you could. Ron Howard didn't need to be in there. Stephen Daldry didn't need to be in there. So, in fact, actually, now that I think about it, I mean, this was actually 2008 was kind of a rare year when all five of the directors of the Best Picture nominees were also themselves directed. I mean, uh, nominated. That doesn't you know, usually. There's there's always one exception. There's one guy left out in the cold. But. Uh, no, that that didn't happen in two thousand eight. Wow, how about that, everybody? Yeah, I, I'm noticing that too. I'm looking at <laughs> just looking at him like all of these line up pretty well. I mean, there's not one dark horse in any of this. And I, the, the uh, one of the few nominations that the the Dark Knight got was for obviously Heath Ledger, who who won posthumously um, for Best Supporting Actor, and rightfully so. He's pretty fantastic in 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 the Dark Knight. Uh, but I, I guess getting back to Slumdog Millionaire, I mean. I, I get its criticisms, but I, I, I just don't buy it. I mean, it, it does get pretty pretty dark. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of just the, 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 the narrative logic happens too quickly uh, towards the end of the film. Like certain change of heart, like his, uh, Jamal's brother, uh, his change of heart so quickly, uh, for me just kind of felt out of nowhere. Um. And, and, and like that was one of the, f I mean, overly cheesy, you know, big shootout as he's laying in a tub of money. Um, I saw when I saw that scene, I'm like, well, that's that's completely Bollywood right there. That, well, you know, I I didn't I even think about it as being a Bollywood woman. I really felt like it reminded me of the finale of uh, only no, not only Angels Have Wings, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, the uh, the 1930 no, the 38 39 film directed by Michael Curtiz with the the classic James Cagney performance and James Cagney and Pat O'Brien is you know they're as kids they they you know they're doing some crimes and then uh, James Cagney's uh, character as a boy gets caught and then he ends up grow they they grow they grow up James Cagney's character leads a life of crime and Pat O'Brien's character becomes a, a priest and then you know they. Cagney gets out of jail and he starts resuming his criminal activities and all these uh, these the, the youth the troubled youths of the neighborhood who were played by the dead end kids who later became the Bowery Boys and thirty year old teenagers now they they started uh, worshiping James Cagney's character and finally he he goes down for murder and Pat O'Brien is uh, begging James Cagney to you know please you know don't uh, don't 
don't go to the electric chair, you know, with your head held high. You you got to go down yellow because then otherwise you'll be a martyr to those boys and they'll they'll worship you forever and they'll they'll go down the same path that you went down. And James Cagney's like, no, I'm not I'm not going down yellow. What's the matter with you? And they start leading him to the electric chair and then toward just towards the very end, as soon as he's out of shot. All of a sudden, he starts crying and pleading that, you know, no, don't, don't do it. And, and so, and you see that the tear, the single tear going down Pat O'Brien's face. And it's like, it's a total change of heart that comes along at the last possible minute, just like in this movie. And it's there, you know, purely, it's there purely for dramatic purposes. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to let it slide in Angels Have Dirty Faces because, you know, it's, it's pure. Hollywood golden age of Hollywood product and that's exactly the kind of uh, plot contrivances that they that they used to do back then and also James Cagney is a fucking greatest movie star you know one of the greatest movie stars ever and he totally sells it so this uh, so Bollywood I don't know from Bollywood but I, I know from Angels Have Dirty Faces and that that moment totally reminded me of uh, James Cagney's turnaround to the climax of that movie I, I don't know if we'll ever like get. I mean, for the life of me, I can't name a single Bollywood filmmaker. Uh, but e- even if I could, I'm sure they would have a uh, large, large catalog of movies, um, probably not available in the states. And I'm not quite sure if we'll ever get into uh, any Bollywood films. Uh, but that's my understanding that they have a huge film industry over yeah, in India. Wonderful. The more films they turn out, more than than we do in the states. Yeah, it, it's bigger than than Hollywood. Uh, even Steven Spielberg is getting in on the action, producing a number of Bollywood films. Really? Uh, really? Yeah, like I read somewhere that Steven Spielberg, since it's they are churning out so much um, movies that there's more opportunity uh, to make money, I, I guess, over there than than over here. Um, that you're at least guaranteed a certain amount of box office because people will just come out to see these movies. Um, and Steven Spielberg has started to like invest into Bollywood productions. Uh, I, I I don't I I don't know if he'll ever get into directing any of these movies, but I, I know he uh, uh, as a producer he has his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Oh, far out. Okay. Uh, and I, I really feel that this movie really caters to that. I mean, that dancing what's at the end. I mean, that's you know pretty pretty typical Bollywood fare. You know, I mean. The only thing separating this movie from what you would usually get in a Bollywood film are those dance sequences and big production numbers. And I was glad to see that in, in the movie. Um, it just it, I guess it just felt like way too much of a turnaround for me. Because, yeah, a lot of the movie is very dark. There's a lot of, you know, really terrible things that happen to the, the main character of this movie. And then all of a sudden it's like uh, the, suddenly they just... At the, the last possible second, they just pull the ripcord on the, their golden parachute, and we all just float down onto a fluffy marshmallow island of joy and happiness. And it's just, what? No, I don't buy it. I just, I just can't. I mean, even look at, look at Rocky, you know, which is, again is pretty much a, a very much a, a feel good movie for a lot of people. And you know, definitely as part of the you know the, the best picture series, we, we will be talking about that at some point. But look, Rocky doesn't win the fight; he wins his self respect, and he wins the girl. He doesn't win the fight, but you know that's not the important thing. The important thing is, is the other stuff. So, but in this movie, the kid does win everything. He gets every damn thing. He wins the game. He wins the girl. He you know gets away from the the, the criminals and it just really come on. <laughs> yeah, even the gangsters that are after him are now dead. <laughs> you know and. Uh... Did he re- did he make peace with his brother? I mean, I, I know his brother. I mean, his brother did you know sacrifice his life, I guess, so he can get away in, in some way. But I, I don't know. I, I just really chalk this up to to, to that. I mean, it's it's go. I, I really do feel that this movie is pretty minor uh, in comparison to Danny Boyle's other works or even in, in be- best picture films. I mean, I think the King's speech is a better film. I think the artist is a better film. Um, Hurt Locker is a better film. Uh, we but, certainly we have a better film, film coming, coming up. up. Definitely. Uh, in, in, uh, the Coen brothers, uh, no country for old men, but you know, th- th- I think this movie's better than crash. <laughs> I think this movie's better than a beautiful mind. Um, and, and you know, and it, gave us someone like Dev Patel, you know, who has uh, yet to kind of live up to the expectations that he 
had in this movie. I mean, the next movie he did was M. Night Shyamalan's uh, The Last Airbender, which is a terrible film. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. (laughs) Oh, he's actually somewhat good in it. He was... I hated that movie so much, um, but I did kind of like his performance in it. But e- even that, it's it's not a very good movie at all. Yeah. I, well, it's a pretty bad movie. Well, like I said, uh, Anil Kapoor, who played the uh, the game show host, uh, who you know he did a very good uh, job in the film. You know, he managed to get something out of it. He you know got a season on an American TV series, so that that worked out pretty well for him. I also, <laughs> think I wouldn't have minded seeing him get a nomination for best supporting actor. I mean, I think out of the five nominees, I think they they could have taken out Josh Brolin for Milk. They could have put Anil Kapoor in there. That would have been that would have been fine. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. And also, um, Frida Pinto, who plays the uh, the adult version of the uh, the girl of uh, the, the Jamal's dreams, uh, she's good in the movie. And then uh, she was able to turn that into uh, some other stuff, wasn't she? In the the of the rise of the planet of the apes of the yeah, uh, she she turned. Uh, her her uh, her role in Slumdog Millionaire to just being scenery in American movie movies because I mean she had really little to do in Rise of the Planet of the Apes and she had very little to do in um, the Immortals I believe yeah in Immortals she, she oh, had I didn't see that one either yeah she was in that uh, she's also in um, Mariel uh, playing the the titular role of that which I haven't seen it's the the last film from Julian. Shabel? Is that how you pronounce it? And the guy that Schnabel? did Yeah, he did um, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh, okay. Um, I, I haven't seen that one yet, but I hear it, it's quite good. I think uh, she's, a, she's a capable actress. Uh, you know, if, if as you say, yeah, you know, now that you mention it in the, the Apes movie, she wasn't given a whole lot to do. And no. I haven't seen The Immortals, but uh, certainly she could, uh, she could handle a more, uh, a more complex, a more nuanced, a more multi layered role. So yeah. uh, hey, Hollywood, uh, you know, come on, give her give her a chance. Why not? Well, I, I just think that just really speaks to like women in color uh, in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, the the types of roles that she's been getting in Hollywood are just like scenery, which is not really to the level of of this actress. I feel, um, and it, it, I guess it's not surprising to me that you know she shines in foreign films, ostensibly foreign films, to American audiences. Uh, more so than what she's given to do in in Hollywood. Well, it's, uh, it is kind of interesting though that you you say that, and, and I think there is there is some truth to to what you're saying. But then, on the other hand, that same year, uh, 2008, you know, three of the five best supporting actress nominees were what you would call uh, minorities. Because you know you had Penelope Cruz, who actually won the Oscar. Uh, who is uh, Hispanic, and then you had uh, two uh, uh, black women who both gave gave uh, wonderful performances, Viola Davis in Doubt, who I felt should have won, and uh, Taraji P. Henson in Benjamin Button. So you know, there was uh, there was definitely some uh, some some good vibes going around for you know minority actresses uh, that year, but I guess uh, Frida Pinto was uh, not one of the beneficiaries of that wave. I, I I am really waiting for the day that Viola Davis wins an Academy Award for acting. I mean that uh, she was so good in The Help. She was, uh, she was. and she should have won for Doubt. Like I said, I mean I I, I liked Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona, uh, it, but it was really weird. I mean from day one that movie came out, people were saying, "Oh, it's Best Supporting Actress time for Penelope Cruz," and I saw the movie and I liked it very much, and I didn't get it. Whereas Viola Davis, and, and this is really what's amazing, is that she only has like one significant scene in Doubt. But if you watch that movie and you watch her in that one scene, just watch how spectacular her work is just in that single scene. The range of emotions that she has to go through, all of the emotional uh, just you know twists and turns that that character takes in the span of a single scene. And it could very easily be just completely unbelievable and you know just really feel like oh now i'm acting but it never felt that way it always felt in you know completely realistic viola davis just just acted the crap out of that role in in doubt i really would have really wanted to see her get the oscar and then you know because she was nominated for best actress in help i thought oh well maybe this will be like a makeup thing and she'll get it and then denied again not fair well meryl streep is was pretty good in the iron lady yeah Uh, yeah yeah I mean, it Viola is, Davis was better. I agree. Uh, I, I was really rooting for Viola Davis. And Meryl uh, Streep's already got Oscars, so come on. <laughs> yeah, she, and you know, 
she it's it's not just that you know it's just viola davis really did give the better performance in my opinion uh this seems like i mean again i haven't this is the my blind spot of of cinema is 2008 because i went on that somewhat of a hunger strike of 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 cinema yeah that's really weird man uh please don't look down on me because of that but it's i was really at this place where i just didn't want to watch movies i i was just getting far too burnt out on them uh that i just had to step away for for a minute maybe Uh, we're watching too many crummy ones did you ever think of that perhaps uh (laughs) but you know the the past is the past and you know I, i i i guess i don't regret that decision but I, I am slowly catching up to these movies of 2008. I mean, when Criterion released The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, that was the first time I saw that movie. Uh, I, I've, I've yet to see Tropic Thunder, you know? <laughs> like, people talk about, oh, Tom Cruise in that movie. I have not seen that movie. Um, it was only fairly recently uh, when I saw Iron Man for the first time <laughs> and nice. The Incredible Hulk, and those were big summer blockbuster movies. Yeah. Yep. Um, and again, same thing with Wall-E. That was a big movie. I, 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 I've yet to see uh, uh, Changeling. Uh, I'm just going. Uh, I'm yeah, you're not missing too much with Changeling. It was good, but not great. What about uh, the Wrestler? Did you see the Wrestler? I finally caught up to that. Okay. You know, a Darren Aronofsky film. And uh, Frost Nixon. Uh, well, the only movies that I, I haven't seen. Frost, Nixon, or Milk, but I did see the reader that was nominated. Uh, Frozen River. I'm just looking at the the, the nominees of, of Oscars on, on Wikipedia. Right, right. Um, yeah, Melissa Leo was very good in Frozen River. I'll definitely give her that. Uh, uh, Anne Hathaway was nominated for Best Actress for Rachel Getting Married. That was the Jonathan Demme film that came out that year, which I thought was, was a little too long. I think it, it, it needed to be edited down. I, I have yet to see Rachel getting married. Although yeah, I, I, Demi I, was a little too precious with the screenplay, which was written by uh, Sidney Lumet's daughter. Yeah, um, I remember listening to a lot of episodes of of uh, Fresh Air and NPR, just focusing on the different aspects of Rachel getting married, uh, whether it be Anne Hathaway or uh, Jenny Lament. Uh, and I, I've yet to see that movie. Uh, although I, I know there's a scene involving a dishwasher, which apparently happened that really happened with uh, Sidney Lament and um, Bob Fosse, I believe. That's a good movie, but not a great movie. Robin Hitchcock, one of my favorite musicians, is in Rachel Getting Married, though. So there's there's one saving grace if you're a Robin Hitchcock fan. And, and the guy from the lead singer of TV on the radio, I believe, is in that movie. Although, though yes. I uh, he plays the the groom, I believe, uh, of 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 said married. Uh, yes, he has a very touching moment that I'm not even going to give away, but he has a very touching moment in the film, and when you get to see it, you'll you'll like that moment as probably as much as I did. I, I think that that in 2009, my, the greatest revelation for me was watching In Bruges. I freaking love the hell out of that movie. Yeah, that was a great movie, but there was also the Mike Lee film, Happy Go Lucky, which uh, yeah, I, I had to catch up on that one as well. That's uh, that's also a great movie. Which we'll talk about more at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else you want to talk about with uh, Slumdog Millionaire and the um, 81st Academy Awards? Who hosted this uh, ceremony? Uh, Hugh Jackman. Ah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> and he he did a good job. He's, you know what, uh, you know, I got to hand it to, to Hugh Jackman. He, he When he wants to be, he can be Mr. Showbiz Entertainment Time. Uh, and it's... It's really kind of fascinating when you think about it. You know, this is the same guy who can play Wolverine and play him very well. And then he can turn around and he can do the song and dance thing uh, very capably. I, uh, I give, him a lot of, uh, give him a lot of respect for that. Yeah, I think he's one of the very few, like, I guess, quote unquote, tough guys that cannot. He doesn't have to be a tough guy all the time. You know, he, he can be the song and dance man as well. Yeah, he's uh, rangy. So I, I think about like Gene Kelly, if Gene Kelly was ever going to be a badass in any movie, which he was not. He could do it. Oh, he could definitely do it. But he he never did. I mean, that guy was really, really tough guy. Uh, but he always just stuck to the, the song and dance thing, which is fine. Yeah, I he's mean, had some moments, uh, not necessarily in movies. I mean, you know, because they made a film out of the Broadway musical Pal Joey. Uh, in the film version, though, the character, the main character, was played by uh, Frank Sinatra, but uh, and it's you know not not the most uh, savory uh, guy in the world. But Gene Kelly played that role on stage, and by all accounts, he was uh, he was a firecracker. That's the thing I always felt that uh, you know between 
Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. And I, you know, not a knock on Fred Astaire because Fred Astaire was just, uh, he was, he's magic up on the screen. But uh, Gene Kelly, I, I felt always, as far as, uh, you know, song and dance men on, in movies, I always felt that Gene Kelly had a much more masculine presence than Fred Astaire ever did. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, <laughs> when I think of tough guy roles of Gene Kelly, what I really think about are, are the one of the very beginning scenes of Singing in the Rain when he's talking about his stunt work, <laughs> like him in the saloon with, with a stage fight and yeah. or, or jumping off a cliff. <laughs> one of his first jobs in the industry was being a stuntman. Uh, that's that's what I think of when I think of Gene Kelly as a as a tough guy. Dignity. Always Dignity. <laughs> I love that movie so much. But let's, uh, as, as far as Slumdog Millionaire is concerned, I mean, yes, uh, it's going to be all but impossible for me to put my, my personal feelings aside. But at the same time, I think, we've, uh, I think we've pretty fairly described the contents of the film. And I think that those, uh, those listeners who might be inclined to see a movie like Slumdog Millionaire, I think you're probably going to enjoy the hell out of it. There's a lot in there for people who have much sunnier dispositions than I to like. And, uh, you know, if if you are one of those people, you know, I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to put you down for that. Jesus, uh, there's plenty of days when I wish I was one of you. Uh, <laughs> you, you see Slumdog Millionaire, you're going to walk out feeling good. You're going to walk out, uh, you know, singing and clicking your heels together because it's that's the kind of movie that it's intended to be. And that is the movie that it is. And, you know, just because it uh, rubbed me the wrong way doesn't mean that it won't rub you the right one. Yeah, And I feel like um, Danny Boyle wasn't. I guess what you would call quote unquote gun for hire for this movie. I mean, he really worked on this project for quite a long time and he really wanted to get this off the ground. Um, and I, he br- really brings a lot to this movie. You can clearly see that this is uh, a Danny Boyle film, uh, just in terms of how frenetic, uh, it is and how bombastic and I don't, not yeah, yeah. Like this kind of restrained all over the place like guided missile of a movie like right when it explodes like it it, it seems like it's deliberate it has it's it has his style and his energy written all over it you get when you when we discuss all the films of danny boyle you know we're definitely going to see that it's it's not going to stick out like a sore thumb it's going to fit right in with the rest of his work which is going to be interesting i think getting to uh a a danny boyle series is on a technical visual level, it fits in perfectly with train spotting. But what does it have in common thematically uh, that would make Danny Boyle an auteur? Like, how does this uh, and Millions or 28 Days Later uh, and, and Sunshine, how are these things connected to a movie like Slumdog Millionaire? That's going to be very interesting. <laughs> Zombies and no Cillian Murphy in this movie. Um, Sunshine. Very underappreciated film, uh, despite its its really bad ending. Uh, all right, let's wrap up this episode of the Auteur Cast bonus episode, uh, our best picture cast, as it were. Where can we find you online, West Anthony? You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. West Anthony. Go to Facebook.com slash AuteurCast and hit the like button there on our AuteurCast Facebook page to get updates on all the things that uh, we have going on in our, our AuteurCast universe. For instance... I was just recently on an episode of uh, the wonderful and popular podcast, Battleship Pretension. I was a guest on there with uh, the guests uh, that we've had on our show, the hosts of that show, uh, Tyler Smith and David Bax. I was a guest on a recent episode of, of their podcast. We were talking about uh, some of our favorite bits of music in films. It's a, a subject that is particularly near and dear to my heart. I... I, I... I just listened to that episode, and it's fantastic, by the way. I think one of my favorite pieces of music, that just like off the top of my head, just thinking about that episode, was um, Tyler Smith's pick uh, for – I can't remember the name of the composer for um, The Taking of Pelham 123. Oh, like, yeah, David Shire. Really like, great composer. He was in his prime in the 1970s. And you brought up the point, like uh, in the late '60s, early '70s, like movies like that were experimenting with like the jazz sound, and and I, I when I heard that piece of music, I was like, oh yeah, I was thinking of other movies that are kind of of that same milk that have a, a similar type of score, and I, I really that was like my biggest one of the biggest takeaways of of that episode was that piece of music from the taking of Poem One Two Three, yeah, the 1974 original version of that film, not yes. the recent remake or the made for TV remake that was in the 1990s. 
But yeah, it was a very good, good and long episode of Battleship Retention, which are my favorite ones, the longer one. The Not longer- as long as my last one. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess uh, in defense of that, you, you, you guys did have uh, music, which which does make it automatically longer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Rudy underscore Obias, R-U-D-I-E underscore O-B-I-A-S, autorcast.com, shakia.com, where I am the movies editor, and everything that is Rudy at rudyobias.com. Uh, what did you think of Slumdog Millionaire and the 81st Academy Awards? Uh, you can send all your feedback to autorcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 347-878-3430. You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash autorcast. If you'd like to leave us a review and rating on iTunes, please do so by searching for the words autorcast and we'll pop right up. On the next episode of the Best Picture Cast, the, the bonus episodes that we're doing, uh, we're going to be discussing the 80th Academy Awards. We'll, we'll be talking about the Best Picture, Joel and Ethan Cohen's No Country for Old Men, which should be uh, a hell of a conversation, I feel, that we'll have about uh, this uh, award ceremony and the movies that were nominated for Best Picture. So, closing out this episode of the Autorcast. In the words of Samuel Fuller, Extending the language of film sometimes starts with just trying to show one true thing. Thank you for listening to our show. Goodbye. Aja chinde shami ane ke tale hai Aja zari wale nile azumane ke tale hai